We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are here to do a Lee Chess check-in, and we are joined by their community organizer, Chris Callahan. Chris has been pretty involved in the chess world for over a decade. He's uh, worked at um, scholastic programs of some people you may have heard on the podcast, such as Mike Klein and uh, Peter Giannatos. So he's down there in Charlotte, North Carolina. These days, he is a full-time employee of Lee Chess. Long-time listeners or listeners who've caught up on the archive may have heard my episode 25 interview with the founder of Lee Chess, Thibaut Duplissis, which I recommend you guys check out. I, of course, am a big fan of the work that Thibaut and the Lee Chess community at large are doing. So I think it would be a fun time to see what is going on with their site and to get a little bit into our guest's background. Lee Chess, just to give you guys some context, like a lot of uh, chess-related things, had a huge spike in popularity last year. Their traffic doubled in two weeks at its peak. So 
And of course, Lee Chess's founding principle is that they are open source and ad and tracker free. So kind of an, an amazing experiment in the online world that has um, implications even bigger than the chess world. Um, but of course, this is a chess podcast. So we'll be talking about all of this stuff as well as Chris's role. So let's go ahead and bring in Chris Callahan. How are you, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Ben. Looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing this. So, Chris, first of all, we got to find out what happened. Did I traumatize Thibo? Why is he not doing any more interviews? <laughs> He's a very humble man. He's one of my favorite people in the world, really, because he he the, the man is just at his core a web developer, and he will do the other tasks that are necessary to run a website if he has to because he wants the website to work out. But he he doesn't want to do interviews. He doesn't want to. He doesn't have any interest in like making himself famous or building his own name. He wants to. He wants to build features and fix bugs and be left alone. So he he generally just doesn't want to do interviews, and I can't blame him. You know, he, he's he's allowed to focus on the things that he likes to do. Yeah, and the things that he's amazing at, and that makes me all the more honored that when I did interview him in 2017, we actually had to do it twice because <laughs> I screwed up recording uh, the first time. Um, I actually don't know what happened on that one. Usually it's my screw up, but that one was some kind of technical difficulty, possibly out of my control. But in, in any event, uh, Thibaut did that one twice, and again, listeners can hear all about him, but uh, Lee Chess has uh, got to be around 10 years old at this point. Um, and just just an amazing site that we will be getting into. But Chris, uh, to to give some context, let's hear a bit about you. So what's what's uh, the brief version of your chess story, Chris? So I learned to play chess when I was five years old. I was in kindergarten, and in my school uh, in the South at that time, I'm from the southeastern United States. Um, the school did not have air conditioning in every building, and one of the few buildings that had air conditioning was the library. And I heard that there was a chess club in the library and I decided that I was super interested in chess and finagled my way into the air conditioned space that way and found out that I actually sort of liked the game and played semi-seriously. I went to tournaments and stuff. I had a, I had a rating um, for maybe five years and then quit like a lot of people do at that age and didn't come back to the game really until I was in college and not enjoying being in college and not really knowing what I wanted to do after college. And I learned that you could make money teaching chess to kids. And I started doing that and I loved it. And I liked it so much more than whatever, you know, college was going to let me be able to do. So I just decided to keep doing that. And I did that for uh, maybe a little over 10 years, 15 years. And right up until I started working, working for Lee Chess. And what's so? And what's your background with Lee Chess, Chris? Like, when did you? What was your first contact with them? Well, I, I eased in very slowly, as most people do. The very first thing I did was I was a streamer, and I was streaming lessons with Christoph Selecki, the the German IM, ah, who's also a well streamer. So yeah, yeah, so he he was giving me lessons, and I was streaming it, and that was right about the time that the Lee Chess study feature came out, which is of course very useful for lessons, and one of the Lee Chess guys uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we have, we're beta testing this new feature. I know that you're doing lessons. Would you like to do it on, on Lee Chess and try the new feature? I said, sure. And so it just started with me giving feedback and sort of being a beta tester. And then I think maybe the first thing I did beyond that was write a blog post. Just I was in the Lee Chess Slack and somebody said, hey, we need to write this blog post. And I said, well, I'll do it. And I wrote you know three paragraphs. 
And then later on, I became a moderator. And then later on, I started uh, dealing with user support stuff. And you just, it, it, you know, I, I went from being a, a sometimes volunteer to a uh, all the time volunteer to uh, it being, you know, what I do for a living. And uh, I think that's that's the story for most people working with Leechess. You just slowly get get sucked in because <laughs> it's so rewarding. That's great. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's so great that so many people do volunteer and I'm glad that you're able to make a living now, now working with this site that, that we all love. I should have mentioned at the beginning, by the way, leechess.org, for those who don't know, the, the number two most popular chess, set, chess site in the world. And I believe it's up to, is it 5 million games per day played now, Chris? Yep. It's hard to tre- keep track, but it's uh, probably about that level right now. That's just amazing. And I should say it's my, in terms of like, of course, I have guests from all the major sites on the show. I like all the sites, but Lee Chess is my favorite for for playing chess. The the user interface is just so smooth and so clean um, that it is my favorite place to play chess. And I, of course, have heard that from from many other people. Um, It's amazing work you guys are doing, Chris. Thank you. So, Chris, I understand that last year in the midst of the Queen's Gambit boom um, and a lot of people being home at quarantine was uh, an especially crazy year at Lee Chess. Could you tell us a little bit what that was like from your perspective? Yeah, well, there were two booms, to be precise. There was the pandemic boom in March or April, and then there was the Queen's Gambit boom uh, later on in the same year. For me personally, it was really a, a very strange time because... Basically, what happened was that when the pandemic arrived, as uh, the the number of users on Leechess more or less doubled in a couple of weeks, and I don't think there's any website that can just you know shake that off with no problem. Like the the infrastructure just is, isn't built to handle all that. So uh, we scrambled with the servers to get them up to snuff, and we also started hiring people. We we just sort of realized that the site was too big for it to be you know a hobby for everyone that was working for. It. We needed some some real staff that was paid and had a consistent level of work and so on and so forth. So that's when I got hired. And at the same time, my other uh, business of teaching chess in schools was going away because there were no after-school activities. So right about the time that chess in schools work was drying up, suddenly the Lee chess work was in great demand. So I, I feel very, very fortunate that that's the way it worked out for me personally. For Lee Chess, there was, uh, as I said, a lot of scrambling with the servers because when you have a feature that is built when the site has 10,000 people, you can't expect it to just continue working when you have 100,000 people. It wasn't tested at that level. There's just, you know, no one would have tested it to that extent when it was built uh, years ago. For example, as I recall, on the Lee Chess website, there is a friends list in the lower right-hand corner. And at one point, we realized that I think 50% of the CPU of the servers was being used to maintain the the friends list, which is a little much for just a little list in the corner of the screen that probably people hide most of the time anyway. So we had to, you know, refactor it because that friends list was built when there were just probably uh, a few thousand people on the site. And we tested it with a few thousand people on the site and it worked just fine with 100,000. It's uh, it didn't scale well, so that got refactored. A lot of other things got refactored. We threw a lot of money at the problem, which because of uh, the generous uh, donations that we get, we we had ready to go. We added a lot of servers, and we added people. And the the good news is that when we hit the second wave of uh, of increasing chess interest, 
when the Queen's Gambit came out, we were well-placed. So we had some very small server issues during the pandemic boom, but during the Queen's Gambit boom, we were very well-placed. We didn't have much problems at all because of all the work that was done uh, beforehand. It's been quite a ride. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine behind the scenes what that must have been like. Yeah, and we should have mentioned, by the way, as Chris alluded to, that of course Lee Chess is, uh, is listener supported. I've, I've been a supporter for about a year. Honestly, I should have should have been supporting it even before then. Um, so, but listeners, um, any, anyone who's able, obviously uh, um, it's, it's more about volume. Like the more people who can pitch in a little, the more sustainable um, it makes the business, especially on a recurring basis. Um, so Chris, what was the financial situation like for Lee Chess? Because like, okay, you get all this traffic all of a sudden, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're getting like this huge influx of cash. So it's, you know, as a, as not a for-profit business, was it an issue to, to hire so many people so quickly in order to scale up the, um, the traffic capacity? Not really, to be honest. We, we have very generous uh, donators and we've always been able to comfortably pay our bills and we were able to expand in March or April when the first wave hit and we are in the process of expanding right now and we have lots of uh, new projects and we want to spend all that donation money in ways to make the website better. Uh, we're very lucky. Uh, I, I think, so, I'll give you an example. Something that happens that I feel sort of bad about is back in March or April, um, we had some server problems, as I mentioned. Um, and very often when that happens, you know, we go on Twitter and we'll say, uh, you know, uh, it's broken. Very sorry. We're fixing it. I assure you. And you see donations go up. And I think people assume that poor old Lee Chess just doesn't have the money to keep things together, which is just not the case. Like the, the, the problems, as I said, were more caused by just the massive increase in users. So yeah, we're, we're doing very well on donations and people are incredibly generous. It, it's, um, it gives you hope. I don't want to be too dramatic. It gives you hope for mankind because we don't really have to go out hat in hand and beg for donations. We, we uh, There's a little button on the homepage below the fold. For about a week, there's been a patron button in the top menu, and that's it. And, oh, well, people have wings on their profile accounts. So if you see someone with things, you might click on it and be curious what's that and see that you can donate to Leech S. But we don't have to do things that lots of other charities do lots i think the standard charity the average charity would just be completely horrified about how we handle fundraising because they do a lot more of it they have you know they have banquets and they have fundraising drives and they do all these sorts of things that leeches doesn't do because there's just not a lot of interest in it like it, it when i get up every day to work on leeches and i look at the problems that we have to solve money is not really one of them so i don't have a great deal of motivation to try to find lots of new streams of revenue or try to up donations because we have enough money for now. If there was some big problem that we needed to throw money at, it would be different. But right now we very comfortably pay our bills. There's no reason to think we can't keep doing that indefinitely. So yeah, we do, we do very well. Thank you very much to any patrons that are listening. Cool. Well, I mean, that's great to hear, but we should also say like, for example, Thibo, I mean, he's a, he's a world-class programmer. Um, mm -hmm. And he basically, you, you know, as he mentioned in our previous interview, and as you graciously shared with me um, leading up to this interview, Chris, I mean, it's it's in the public domain where the money goes um, for for Lee Chess. And he's not, he's not drawing a, a world-class programmer's salary, it's safe to say. Absolutely. So, Thibo, yeah. can I just say, would be making 
some incredible multiple of what he's making at Lee Chess if he were in the if he were in the public sector. He is a like Jedi tier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the private sector. He is a Jedi tier developer. And I, I don't think it's crazy to say he'd be making five or ten times as much or something. And he, he doesn't want to. He wants to work on Lee Chess and get paid less. And, Isn't, uh, and is he still doing – when I interviewed him, he was doing the hippie life, traveling from hostel to hostel. <laughs> <laughs> he, seems to have, he seems to have calmed down a little bit. I okay. think he may be – I'm not ready to say that he's, like, putting roots down and that's over. I can remember talking to him for years and I said, when are you giving up the backpack? When are you going to, you know, buy a, a house with a picket fence? And he was like, never, never, never. Right. And he's, he's been a little bit more stationary in the last year, probably out of necessity of getting on a plane. is not especially easy right now, right. but I, I'm not ready to, to declare victory. He, he could be back in, you know, Thailand in I a mean, month, yeah, but it I wouldn't was, shock I me. Was- as a, as an old married man, I was a little jealous. So um, yeah, same here. <laughs> um, and is he ba- is he based in France again? Yeah, yeah, he's back in France now. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, and so it is great that you have so many people supporting the show. But I mean, also, I mean, the uh, the force of habit there <laughs> supporting the site. But uh, but also, um, you know, you guys working for there deserve deserve credit for keeping it lean and mean. Um, mm-hmm. Which which raises the question. So you say the chess community has been very generous. Um, obviously, I feel the same way as a partially listener-supported podcast. Um, shout out to everyone who helps support Perpetual Chess. Um, but I'm curious, like, so obviously, like, I contribute five bucks a month. I think a lot of people t- probably contribute around that level, five, ten bucks a month, something like that. But do you get, like, giant donations as well? Or is it primarily sort of, like, grassroots-type donations? I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would estimate that the overwhelming amount, the overwhelming percentage of the money that we get is in small donations. We'll say donations under $50. We do occasionally get a big donation of a few thousand or something like that, but it's very uncommon. And it's a, you know, it's a tiny percentage of everything. It's, it's mostly just regular people who, like you said, give five or 10 bucks or maybe a little bit more. Um, that's another, that's the thing that I think we also differ from other charities is that, uh, and I've never worked for another charity. So there are probably, uh, people working for charities who are very upset with me listening right now, but I get the impression and I could be wrong that charities get a, the average charity gets a much higher percentage of their money from, uh, like corporate donations or big, yeah, like big one-time donators and Lee Chess is very different. Cool. Uh, well, it's great. I mean, it, you know, having the breadth of support and having a lot of people makes it more resilient. You know, you're not um, continuing yeah. on just one person um, continuing to support them. Um, so, Chris, we've got uh, a f- some good questions from speaking of supporters of uh, supporters of the podcast. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from my friends at Chessable and then we're going to hop into the questions. This is your weekly reminder that Chessable.com has a ton of high-quality material. Whether you're looking to learn a certain opening, want to see the latest Super GM repertoire that has been published, want to find a tactics course appropriate for your level, whatever it may be, go to Chessable.com and have a look around. Don't forget they have tons of cool free content too, like their short and sweet courses about various openings. And all of the things that they offer feature their proprietary move trainer technology, the secret sauce that lets you actually remember all of the new chess moves and opening sequences that you learn. So once again, chessable.com, 
check out their ever-expanding, excellent library. So, Chris, um, we have some good questions from longtime friend of the podcast, Han Chu. Uh, Han, of course, was on the show as an adult improver and is a USCF master and an active chess blogger who you guys should check out. Um, and he's a big fan of Lee Chess. So here is Han's uh, series of questions, which we will break down into smaller parts. So Han says, thank you for making the best chess playing environment. I've been a supporter of Lee Chess for a few years now. It's, in, it's encouraging that the world that it's encouraging for the world that development collectives of Lee Chess, Stockfish, and Leela Chess Zero produce the best products for free. I'm currently playing with a blind chess player in the Lee Chess 4545 league. Lee Chess supports visually impaired players by announcing moves and move entry on the keyboard. There's a GitHub hub development that supports voice recognition of moves. Um, he has links for that that I'll put in the show notes. Is that a feature that might become standard uh, functionality with Lee Chess in the future? That's question number one. So go ahead, Chris. Well, there, there is a Lee Chess feature that I'm not sure if he's aware of that I should mention, which is the accessibility mode. And um, there's a YouTube video on our channel about it. And basically, it, most people don't, I would say the overwhelming majority of Lee Chess users don't know it exists because the button to turn it on is not visible. <laughs> it's invisible. And the reason it's invisible is because it's invisible to you and me because we don't use screen readers. Screen readers are, are the software that uh, the visually impaired use that basically reads out the text of a web page that allows them to use the internet. And accessibility mode on LeeChess changes the entire website to be uh, basically only text, right? So there's no chessboard, there's no picture of a knight where the knight is, there's nothing but text. And it's in a way that makes it very readable for a screen reader where it will, all, all of the critical stuff is together and it's all one line after the other so you can quickly cycle through it. If a person is visually impaired, I highly recommend that they use that feature. The way that you turn it on is if you have a screen reader and your screen reader starts reading the Lee Chess webpage, the first thing it will see is the button for accessibility mode. It'll say leechess.org, accessibility mode enabled. And you hit you know enter or spacebar or whatever to turn it on. Uh, that button is, as I said, not visible on the regular website. You and I won't see it because we don't have screen readers turned on. If you're trying to do screen reader things, that is you know the first thing you should in, uh, investigate. The other part of that is um, voice recognition entry. And that is sort of, I mean, it's possible right now. It's just not possible with uh, only native Lee Chess software. So we have text input where it's a setting and you can turn on, there's a little uh, box below the board and you put your cursor in there and type in E4 and it plays E4. There are various uh, browser plugins and I won't recommend one because depending on what browser you use or what system you use, it might be different that you could use to input the move. So I would recommend some combination of all of that to play, you know, blindfold or hands-free or whatever exactly you're trying to do. As far as Leechess having a native feature for that, generally, if there is an extension that does it well, that means that our motivation to implement it is much less because people can kind of already do it. But, you know, it, it, it could happen. It's the sort of thing that uh, if a lot of people ask for it and we see the extension is just not doing it, then we might think about implementing it. Um, 
Yeah, but we should probably do it. That's another thing. We should probably do a better job of raising awareness of these extensions because there's a lot of uh, leechess related extensions that extend the things you can do with the website. Hope that okay. answers the question. Yeah, and is there like a landing spot they can go to to check out what extensions are available? Yeah, if you go to leechess.org slash page slash extend, you will see some extensions and you will see some uh, what are called CSS scripts, which sort of move around the elements of the website to different places to make them more convenient for different purposes. Like one of them, for example, is a streamer uh, CSS script, which takes the names of the players and the clocks and puts them tightly on the top and the bottom of the board, which means uh, if you're a streamer that wants to show the board and the names and the time, you can put it all together in one element, makes it a lot easier to do your streamer overlay. And you can find that on, on the page among many other things. Okay, yeah, and we'll get to more about streaming later, but let's uh, dive into question number two from Han, which is, he says, Lee Chess has by far the best chess playing environment. Thank you and the team. Chess 24 has a crappy playing environment. That's his words. <laughs> um, but the, the Play Magnus group who owns them must have ambitions to fix that, which I can verify. They do have ambitions to fix that. Um, and Han says, are there any conditions under which Chess 24 could use or copy the Lee Chess playing environment for their site? Sure. Uh, Chess 24 can use Lee Chess code. Anyone can use Lee Chess code. The license that we use is called a copyleft license. And the way it works is uh, every uh, jot and tittle of Lee Chess code, every piece of it is publicly available. It is not proprietary. It is open source. So you can go to our GitHub page, and if you can read the code, you can see precisely how everything works. And the other thing is that anyone can use it. You can copy paste that code and use it, but there is a license that you must respect. The license simply says that whatever you build with the code has to also be open source. So essentially you have to continue in the spirit of sharing that we gave you the code with whatever you use. And lots of websites have done that. There are already lots of little baby leechesses that um, play different board games or uh, you know different chess variants. So there's nothing stopping Chess24 from doing that. Um, I, in my experience, I haven't seen corporations that want to do that. Why that is would be a question for someone who has worked for corporations more than I have. Perhaps the the open source aspect is just a big deal breaker. Perhaps they, the the devs tell the bosses, um, you know, we can use this greatly chess code, but it has to be open source, and the bosses just say, no, I know you can't. We're not doing that. But yeah, to answer the question, yes, of course they can. Anyone can uh, if they respect the license. So wow. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I do know that they're working on upgrading the playing UI, but that's that's as far as my knowledge goes. So I don't I don't know about uh, whose code they're using. Um, but certainly um, I know they're investing in, in improving the product. Um, OK, but so Hans, next question, another uh, related to another major chess site. Han says, the chess-based software and company is, in my opinion, like Windows 8 and Microsoft 10, Microsoft 10 years ago. Outdated software, bad support, and a bureaucratic company. The only reason they exist is that there is still not a real alternative. They're a monopoly. Will Lee Chess develop functionality that can replace the chess-based software in the future? 
So I'm trying to be diplomatic with these, uh, with these right, questions. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just reading the listeners' questions. <laughs> and um, with this one, I guess I don't have to try to be diplomatic because we not so long ago had a blog post that was very critical of Chessbase. Yeah, uh, big controversy. Not so much for their skill in making software, but in, in with uh, Fat Fritz and uh, yeah. you know, uh, and people can read the blog post and they're interested. Well, in we should we should explain the backstory, but why don't you answer Hans' question first, and then we'll sure. we'll do that. So um, to answer the question, will there be a Lee Chess uh, product? Will there be Lee Chess software that is comparable to Chessbase? No, because uh, Chessbase is uh, standalone desktop software and uh, Lee Chess is a website and a mobile app. So that would be pretty far outside of our purview. Could there be Lee Chess features that do database things that do, you know, things similar to what Chessbase does, that is more realistic. I will tell you that when we were uh, when we were dealing with the Fat Fritz thing and preparing the blog post and talking to the Leela and Stockfish team, there were some very, there were some very angry nerds. There were some very angry <laughs> developers. And more than one of them broached the idea of, of making uh, some database software. That is probably the most likely possibility of all of them is that someone would start an open source site or an open source project with chess database software. And then Lee chess would help promote it. We do blog posts with our favorite open source sites and try to give a leg up to the baby open source sites, our, our open source brethren. And if somebody made, you know, some chess database software, they would be a prime candidate for that. So that is, that's the most likely, although I'm not aware of uh, that happening at this moment. Okay. Um, that's okay. Sounds like there's some there's some potential at least. Um, so let's get into this uh, this fat Fritz Leela thing. Um, I don't listeners may have heard, but there was like a, a brouhaha, you could say. Um, I think it was about a month ago um, relating to uh, Chessbase's for profit um, program, Fat Fritz Computer uh, Engine. Um, being sold. And uh, Chris, before I say something demonstrably incorrect, why don't, why don't you take it away from here? So there are two issues here. And one of them uh, I am not especially qualified to talk about. Um, and the other one I am perfectly qualified to talk about. Anyone is qualified to talk about it because it's just honesty. It's just saying something that isn't true. So the first issue is a license issue. Um, Stockfish and Leela have uh, I'm not sure if it's precisely the same license, but they have a similar license to Leechess, which means anyone can use Stockfish or Leela and they can modify it and they can plug it into other software. They can do whatever they want as long as they publish the source. Um, there is some controversy about whether they've published the source or whether they've lived up to the license. That is a question for developers and <laughs> possibly lawyers that I, I will not uh, get into right now. The other issue is just of simple honesty, because what Chessbase did was publish this engine Fat Fritz, which was essentially just a copy-pasted Stockfish, and then go on to say that it was better than Stockfish, and it did all these things that Stockfish couldn't do, and you should stop using Stockfish and start using Fat Fritz, which is just simply not true. And if you're selling a product for $100, you know, based on, on uh, misrepresentations, then I, I felt like at the time that Lee Chess had a responsibility to say something about it. 
And I'm sure if you had the chess-based people on here, they would, you know, be prepared to defend themselves and tell them, oh, yes, it is totally different from Stockfish. And it's, um, that is not our opinion. <laughs> we think it is essentially a copy-pasted Stockfish, which you would be allowed to do, which is perfectly fine to, to copy-paste open source code and use it. And it's even perfectly fine, I want to point out, to charge for it. We are not against charging for software. We're not against charging for anything. You could even copy paste Stockfish and and change nothing and charge a million dollars for it, and it would be incredibly lame. But it would be it would follow the license and it would be fine if you told people what you're doing. If you do all that and then you say this isn't Stockfish, then we have a problem. So that was the the basis of the controversy. That's why we published a blog post uh, along with the Stockfish and Leela guys. And that whole saga uh, may not be over yet. There may be another blog post. There may be more developments, but I won't say anything until until I have something concrete to say. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and this this will be out in about eight days from when we're recording, Chris. So um, we'll, we'll see if anything's materialized by then. But yeah, I'm hesitant to, to, to wade into this debate because I'm manifestly unqualified primarily. Um, but suffice to say, as Chris alludes to, um, that there are strong opinions. You can find arguments uh, relating to uh, what Chessbase did for both sides, both from people inside and outside of Chessbase, but also that it, it's rare for, for the people, the good folks at Lee Chess to, to make a stand like this. Um, so, you know, listeners can can read up on it and draw their own conclusions. But but thanks for uh, thanks for addressing it, and uh, we'll we'll be curious to see what other uh, chess drama unfolds from this. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Um, so speaking of chess drama, um, when Thebo was on, of course, I had to ask him about uh, uh, the rampant cheating in online chess. Which you know, this was 2017. I'm sorry to report that. <laughs> I don't think it's gotten gotten particularly better in the interim. And obviously, I've interviewed people like Danny Wrench of Chess.com and Ken Regan, who's one of the, uh, the biggest authorities in the world on cheat detection. And this is something that that Lee Chess deals with, like Chess.com, but probably doesn't have the uh, the same budget. Um, and there have been some specific controversies, but why don't we begin, sort of, Chris? And I know this isn't uh, your exact. Um, you know, this isn't the area you work on as a community organizer, but what is Lee Chess's, to, to the best of your knowledge, general um, approach to cheat detection? Well, yeah, you're, you're right that this isn't my area, but I have uh, banned a person or two in my time, so I'm not uh, totally uninformed. And unfortunately, cheat detection does sneak over into my area of uh, community organizing or public relations because it becomes a big scandal when we ban a big name. So that at that point, it absolutely is my my area. But yeah, our, our, I can't talk about specific method, methods, which, uh, you know, everybody else told you the same thing. Well, uh, Danny Wrench told you the same thing, I'm sure. But I can sort of talk around it and, and talk about very generally what our process is without talking about methods. Um, there, there are two layers of detection. There's an automated detection, which gets very, very dumb cheaters and very obvious cases. And that tier takes care of as much as it can, you know, the low-hanging fruit, if you will. And then from there, the cases move on to human beings. And I think this is one big misconception that people have, because very often somebody will get banned 
And one of the one of the comments you'll see people make is they say, oh, the, the algorithm screwed up. And I think people have this idea that cheat detection is like uh, Thibaut, you know, sitting in his living room and he just hits the switch to turn on the algorithm and he puts his feet up and reads a newspaper and then that's that's it. When a big name player gets banned, that is on Lee Chess, at least, I would guess on the other sites as well. That is a human being hitting the button. We have the system set up that when when a person with, uh, you know, a, a GM or some other big name is getting banned, that's not happening with an automated algorithm. That is a human being that, that is thinking about it very, very carefully and understands very well the implications of, of hitting that button and has decided to hit it anyway. So I, I think, I, I hope that people understand when we talk about cheat detection or we talk about so-and-so that got banned, who's a big name, they understand that there are human beings behind this. And I can remember um, years ago, there was a high profile player that got banned and I was reading the comments uh, on like a Twitter thread or a Reddit thread or something or YouTube comments, I don't remember, which you should never do. It's a terrible idea, but I did it uh-huh. anyway because I'm dumb and I make lots of terrible decisions. That was the terrible decision I made that day. And you're reading people with all sorts of conspiracy theories about, well, they wanted to ban this person because of X, Y, or Z, not because they're cheating. Or some people saying, you know, Lee Chess doesn't care. They just, we, we just ban 100 people at random, I guess, every day just to keep up appearances. And it hurt. It hurt my feelings so much. And I I don't read the comment threads anymore. But what I want people to come away with is that, and I can only speak for Lee Chess, but I would bet the mortgage that it's the same at other chess websites. People know very well when they ban a big name what that means for the person and how it will affect their reputation and the real world consequences it will have. And they've decided to do it anyway which means can probably tell you something about the standards of evidence and it can tell you about uh, how seriously we take it. Right. I, I, I'll give you a concrete example about a different site just cause I can't talk about my own um, chess.com with uh, what was it? The pro chess league. Mm-hmm. They, they um, I guess uh, Armenia won. And then like a couple days later they had to announce that uh, the guy got banned and they, they were switching the winners And I'm sure if you read the comment section, you would see people with all sorts of conspiracy theories, you know, uh, about they wanted the Americans to win or they have some personal vendetta. I don't know anything about chess.com cheat detection. I I would listen to somebody arguing that they were wrong about him cheating. I would not listen to the conspiracy theories about them just banning for fun or for other reasons like do you really think that that's what they wanted to happen? That, that was their preferred yeah. outcome? I mean, that's yeah, that's terrible. I felt I felt so much like solidarity as an organizer at that time. Yeah, that let's sucks risk, for them. risk our business business and tarnish yeah. our brand in order if, to because Wesley if, So needs more support. Yeah. <laughs> like, if they're yeah. banning that guy, it's because they think he cheated. If you want to tell me they're wrong and they screwed it up, I mean, I'm skeptical about that too. But I would listen. But you know, any argument about them not taking it seriously or just like trying to do Wesley a favor. No, I, no, I can't, I'm not going to listen to that. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and there's always, there's always defenders. There's always doubters. I mean, you always see people, Chris asking, and I know chess.com gets this a lot as well. Like, why can't you guys 
lift the curtain a little more in terms of the cheat detection algorithm. And with chess.com, of course, there's the profit motive. Um, but what's the story with Lee Chess? What's, your, what's the standard response to that question? Well, we do the same thing and we don't have the profit motive to you know, use as a justification. We won't talk about uh, methods. We won't talk about specific bands. We won't get into, uh, we won't do debate club with people that want to talk about why somebody was banned and offer evidence and stuff. And people have absolutely pointed out that, you know, we take great pride in um, transparency and that aspect is totally non-transparent. And it's a fair point. I don't have any, you know, real counter argument to people that say that because it's absolutely a fair point. It's not transparent. We're not totally transparent when we ban people. And the reason we're not transparent is because, in my opinion, that is just the only way that works. If we were if we were transparent, the whole thing would break down. It would become a thousand times worse. And it just wouldn't work. So in order to keep the system working, we have to be quiet about it. Um, of the people that work for Leeches, uh, which is, you know, uh, paid employees and volunteers, the overwhelming majority, not the overwhelming majority, the majority of them work on cheat detection. There is an incredible amount of man hours invested into cheat detection. And this is in an, in an environment where the general public's understanding of cheat detection is, in my opinion, very low. I think the average chess player knows very, very little about cheat detection and has very little understanding of what the websites do. In an environment where you have me, you know, talking for an hour in great detail about exactly how we catch everyone, that amount of work would go up exponentially. And so, yeah, I guess the answer to your question is I, I plead guilty. We're not transparent on that and we're not trying to be transparent. And I don't think it would work at all if we were transparent. Okay. And by the way, anyone listening, if you cheat with engines, please stop. You're just making yeah. the test work. Just making the, make, creating all kinds of work. We're wasting all <laughs> kinds of resources and, and you're not really gaining anything. Yeah, we, we could, could, we could pave the streets with gold. Yeah. We could use all of those people who are trying to catch cheaters to, to do other things. Imagine the utopian world we would live in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And we have a related question from a uh, supporter of the podcast, Courtney Fry. Thank you for the support, Courtney. Um, so Courtney asks, um, there are actually two questions, but I'm going to go to the second one first because it's related, which is, is there a way to detect players that intermittently use the engine without giving away too much? Is this a big problem or do most cheaters just use the engine in an obvious way? There are ways to detect people that use the engine intermittently. <laughs> okay, because that yeah, is, that, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, because um, I mean, again, I know you said you can't discuss specific cases, but there was a fairly high-profile case this year, uh, Grandmaster Ronak Sadwani, who had some high-profile advocates, some young Indian GM, come out and say, "There's no way he cheated. I know this kid. Uh, I looked at the games. They're very human." So. Um, if if you can't discuss it, I respect that, but you know that uh, that could, that could fit the bill because people were pointing out some human moves and saying, "Look, he couldn't cheat." Um, yeah. but but things aren't so simple. Well, uh, I, I will say this: the Leeches cheat detection team is uh, forty or fifty people, depending on how you you count them, between volunteers and full time employees. Many of them have been working on cheat detection for years. Some of them have advanced uh, math or statistic degrees. Um, we have 
two or three IMs. We'll probably have a GM once the world reopens and they do uh, norms tournaments again. We have lots of uh, FMs and NMs as well. Very smart people who have been working for years and years. If somebody listening has some very smart idea about some workaround where they could cheat and get away with it, it is overwhelmingly likely that one of us has already thought of it <laughs> and has already investigated the way to catch it. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's about all I can say. I hope people will keep that in mind. Okay, that's good to hear. Um, okay, so we'll leave it there with the cheating. Uh, Courtney Fry also submitted another question, which is, uh, it's hard to manage bad behavior on online communities. Do you think that there should be harsher penalties for bad behavior, such as leaving a game before it starts? Um, or I'm sure Courtney's also thinking of like, uh, you know, abuse in chat and so on and so forth. Uh, or do you think the current penalties are about right? So, well, let me explain how it works very quickly. And then I'll talk about, um, you know, why we do it that way. Uh, there is a play ban system on Lee Chess, which does not ban you permanently. It gives you, well, it gives you warnings, first of all, and then it gives you a ban. The first ban is 10 minutes, and you just see a little, instead of the uh, the seeks and the games that you might be clicking on, you'll see a little countdown that says, you know, sorry, we had to ban you for 7 minutes and 14 seconds, 7 minutes and 13 seconds, so on and so forth. You get that when you do a couple of things. Number one is abort too many games. So that's when the game is served to you, it appears, and you don't play a move and you click abort. Um, the other thing is if you leave a game without resigning. So instead of clicking resign and going away from the game, you just let your clock run down or you disconnect and you're gone. You will not get banned the first time you do either of those things. You will not get banned the second time. You will get warnings both times. And then eventually, if you do it again and again, you will get a play ban for escalating amounts of time. We get two sorts of emails complaining about this system. The first one says, uh, how dare you? I'm allowed to abort as many games as I like. I'll abort every game I ever play, and you will never, you're never allowed to have any opinion on it. I also um, am allowed to leave a game whenever I want. <laughs> and uh, if, if, I use, if I have a 10-minute game and I, I want to use 10 seconds of it finding move and, and 9 minutes and 50 seconds to spite you because I hung my queen that I'm allowed to do that. It's my 10 minutes. I'll use it as I want. And then the other sort of email we get is, why don't you do anything about <laughs> these people that abort games and about these people that leave without resigning? So as long as those two sorts of complaints are kind of at the same level, I feel like uh, we're doing we're doing a yeah. reasonable job. Um, as far as the people who think they can abort uh, every game they ever play as much as they want, or they think that they can leave a game in the middle. They have every right. I, I don't know what to tell them. The Lee Chess disagrees. We don't see it like that. Our, our goal is not, our goal is to have the most enjoyable experience on the website as possible. To that end, it is not enjoyable when you have to click a thousand times to get a game because everyone's aborting the game. It is also not enjoyable if people are, you know, letting the clock run for 15 minutes instead of resigning. So we discourage those things. And once in a while is fine. People disconnect. That's a normal thing. So it'd be very harsh to just ban them the first time they disconnect. And you have to abort. Sometimes you get a game and then the phone rings and you have to abort. And, and that's fine. Once in a while. If you're doing it a lot, then we need to do something about it. And it's probably not correct to like kick you off the site forever. That seems a little harsh. But just to give you warnings and then it escalates to short bans and then it escalates to longer bans. 
Seems like a reasonable way to handle things, in my opinion, but we would listen to feedback on that issue from whoever. Okay. Um, makes sense. And uh, for for someone to be banned for timing out of games repeatedly, do, do they need to be reported or is that automatically detected? Uh, both. The system, there is an automated system to deal with it. And I would guess that that automated system gets almost everybody, but sending a report never hurts. So if somebody does this, in a game against you and you're playing on Lee Chess, for anyone listening, you should absolutely report them because it can't hurt. People get very uh, weird about reports. I think <laughs> this is another thing I see in the comments, which is very silly. I, I see people when they get banned on Lee Chess or other sites, they say, well, they just got banned because a lot of people reported them, which is just crazy to me. What do you, how do you think that we <laughs> like do right. our job? You, do you think that we're looking at reports and we're thinking, hmm, well, there were six reporters. Hmm, this right. is a, this is a tough one. If it was only uh, three, clearly we wouldn't ban them. But and if it was ten, you know, we we don't really care how many people report somebody. We care if the reports are correct. And the average report success percentage. Let me see how I want to explain this. Yeah, the the average number of reports that are like correct that result in an action is very 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 low. I would say it's below one percent. Now, the mean report is a little bit better because the average is thrown off by people that are just very angry, salty people, and they report everyone they ever lose to. The mean is a little bit better. If, if you know, 50% of your reports are correct on Lee Chess, you are an elite reporter. You are one of the best. You are like a GM level reporter <laughs> because the average report is really, really bad. And we don't care at all how many people report somebody. Okay. Um, all right. Good to know. Yeah. And, uh, obviously I don't know. I feel like, um, you know, you, having been around the chess world for a long time, you might have an opinion on this too, Chris, but I feel like, uh, the chat stuff is not as bad as it used to be. Is that, is that something like people being abusive when someone beats them? Um, is that, is that something that takes up a lot of bandwidth at Lee Chess? Yeah. The, I said that we have a lot of moderators and, uh, it's important to remember that not all of those are cheat moderators because there's other ways to misbehave. There are a lot of people uh, banning people who say naughty words in chat or are very rude. I don't know. I don't have, I, I don't know any way to measure how polite people are being, but um, yeah, I don't know if it's getting better or worse, but uh, we have enough people covering the problem on Lee Chess at least. Cool. The, the, the cheat detection takes up more time because of the complexity like generally if somebody you know is using like a racial epithet we don't need to think about that one for 20 minutes like that's yeah that's just bad the, the cheating cases are a lot more complicated than that and require more thought and there's also a lot more weight like a lot more um it matters a lot more if somebody gets banned for cheating than if they get muted for being a jerk so generally the decision to mute somebody for being a jerk is is taken a bit quicker gotcha um okay so, all right. So let's let's move to some brighter aspects of uh, the the human spirit. Um, so <laughs> you're uh, you're part of your job, Chris, is uh, you're involved in the uh, the the Twitch streaming that that Lee Chess does. When you go to the Lee Chess homepage, um, you you see a few people streaming as they play on Lee Chess pop right up, and obviously through Twitch itself, you can find these people as well. Um, so what, what's going on with that program? What are the goals for that program? And, uh, what's, what's your role in it, Chris? Well, I, I don't think that it would be too crazy. 
I'm not embarrassed to say that this is one aspect of LeechS that we probably lag behind the other sites. Like the, the LeechS YouTube and Twitch channels don't exactly compare to the other websites. And we're trying to change that. And this includes, we've been doing lots more streams in the last, I don't know, two or three months. We've been hiring some streamers. We also take volunteers, like with everything on LeechS. We're trying to support the people that uh, stream on our website. We're trying to give them tools to promote themselves and to, and to build up their own stream. So what, what would be an example of a tool that you would give them? So here's something that came up recently. There's always a million little things. Um, Twitch, uh, when you're on, I guess I should give context. If you have a Twitch stream, you, your first sort of, uh, uh, like thing that you want to achieve is to get Twitch partner, which gives you a little bit better, uh, percentage of profits on things. And I think it also gives you better access to like, uh, user support. So every Twitch streamer that you see that has like 50 viewers is trying to get partner. And we had a little problem where a lot of our streamers were getting denied partner because of embedded viewers. So an embed is when you see another page that isn't Twitch and inside of that web page is a little Twitch stream. That's called an embed, right? And those are embedded viewers. Twitch, for whatever reason, doesn't like people to watch their streams on embedded viewers. It raises the question why they don't just not have embedded viewers, but that's a question for Twitch. So people were getting de denied partner because of too many embedded viewers. And the solution we had to that is that uh, Lee Chess streamer pages no longer appear when you click on streams. If you click on one of those links on the homepage, you will go straight to the Twitch stream. And hopefully, you know, that is increasing the number of on Twitch viewers. Hopefully that will help people get partner um, there's a lot of other things we're doing. We try to coordinate and set up matches and, and uh, dual streams and that sort of thing. Um, we will lend our Twitch channel to people and then allow them to raid themselves. Because if you were the, the Twitch, uh, the Leech Twitch channel is not huge, but it's a lot bigger than somebody if they're just starting out. So if you have a brand new streamer and they're having trouble like getting over the you know the initial difficulties of building an audience will let them borrow the Leechess Twitch channel. And then what they do is they raid themselves. So right, they do a little bit of time on the Leechess channel. And then we have a system set up, you hit some buttons and then suddenly they're on their own channel and all the viewers are sent over there. Cool. And, and so in some cases, Leechess actually pays the streamers as well. Yep. It's the same as anybody who works for Leechess. There are people who get paid. There are people who volunteer and it's probably, I don't know. I'm not going to guess on the exact percentage, but I mean, we, we, we have some big names. We've had like Anish Giri and we've had Peter Svidler and we've had uh, Alexander Grishuk and um, let's see, we had Mama Diarov and that tier of streamer, uh, those, those folks, you know, God bless them. They're, they're good guys, all of them, but they don't generally volunteer. Right. And yeah, it's perfectly fine with us to, to pay, you know, for content. And if somebody wants to, out of the goodness of their heart, volunteer, that is also fun. Okay. And if if listeners are interested in either, you know, being paid like Peter Svidler or um, volunteering, uh, how do they do that, Chris? Uh, contact me. Send me a private message on Lee Chess. I am no joke on Lee Chess. N-O-J-O-K-E. Ah, that's a good handle. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Cool. And so what else is going on with the, uh, the air quotes, business of Leachest? Like, um, what are the high priority projects right now? So we don't actually really announce features. So there's a new feature today on Leachest, actually, called uh, Puzzle Streak. And the way it works is you do puzzles and they start out very easy and then they slowly get harder and you build up a number and the number gets higher and higher and you essentially you get one wrong and you have to start over. And I don't believe you would have, if you, you know, followed the Leachess Twitter account or followed our blog post or whatever we use to communicate, you wouldn't have heard a word about it until it came online today. And that's generally how we do things. Um, and the reason we do things like that is of course we do things like that. Why would you do them any other way? Like when you're working on something, there's always the possibility that it won't work out. You might decide, hey, we would like to have this cool feature. And then we, you know, when the devs sit down to try to make it, they realize, oh, this doesn't work at all. This is a bad idea. This is just totally unworkable. And if we haven't announced anything, that's fine. They just go work on something else. We, we haven't promised anybody anything. We just, we just work on something else. I feel so bad for these uh, video game companies. I watch these like E3 presentations and people, they're talking about a video game that not only doesn't exist, but won't exist for years. They're like, this video game comes out in 2025 and they have a list of all the things it can do. You'll have this many characters, you'll have this many worlds, you'll have swords and guns, you'll be able to do this and this and that. I feel so bad for the devs, because once you've, you know, promised that you're going to have something, you they, you got to have that stuff. You told them that you're going to have it. So I, I imagine that the video game companies do that because they have investors and they have earning reports and stuff and they need to, you know, they need to sort of sell it before they even have it to sell it. One of the big advantages of Leech S is that we don't have to sell anything. There are no investors. There's no, uh, like, person in sales who, who wants to, you know, sell things or the devs just get to work on stuff. And if it if it's not working, then they work on something else. Good stuff. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's amazing. It's all, you know, you've got the Twitch outreach. You're growing that. Uh, you've got, like, I, I enjoy the, the puzzle storm as well. There's so many features it's hard to keep track of. Of course, Lee Chess studies are an absolute classic. And I, uh, you know, see tons of people making use of them. And, you know, right now I'm working on a podcast for, Logical Chess Move by Move, which will be the next like book recap podcast. And I was able to just uh, Google uh, Lee Chess Study, Logical Chess Move by Move. And of course, I have the book, but it's helpful to then like go to that and then have the Stockfish embedded and be able to look at the games through there. So, so many just little things like that, that like the capability offered by Lee Chess coupled with the generosity of uh, whoever uploaded that are just, just amazing features. Um, but so how do you guys prioritize what to do? Like, what do you say no to? I know you guys have dabbled in covering the news in the past, like chess news. Like how, how do, how does one make these choices? This is exactly what I'm thinking about every day right now. I, I, I basically, we have a budget for content and we have to decide how to spend it. We're spending some of it on streamers right now, but there's a lot of other different ways that we can spend it. We could spend it on, as you said, uh, journalism. We could spend it for people to write articles. We could spend it to send people to tournaments, to do live coverage, to take pictures, um, to do game analysis. 
we could pay them to make studies, actually. It's one thing we're considering to, to make studies. We would pay some uh, title player, maybe some big name player to make, you know, an opening survey or uh, an end game survey or maybe just some puzzles or whatever. We're very much in the early days of all this. At the moment, we're pretty sure that it involves streamers. Like, I think that is almost definitely going to be like a, a, a consistent part of the budget going forward. We're definitely going to do something for the candidates. You will see, you know, blog posts on Lee Chess about the candidates. You will see the candidates' games live. Um, exactly how much is spent and what we do uh, remains to be decided. But yeah, that's that's what we have to deal with uh, going forward. Other than the streams, I can't really be 100% sure. Okay, good stuff. Well, it's great work. Um, it's not broke, so nothing to fix as far as I can tell. I mean, it's just just an amazing story. And um Thank you for for the role that you play. But um, Chris, before before we call it an interview, um, I did want to talk a bit about your work in, at Scholastic programs um, because you've mentioned that that through through your years in the uh, in the chess teaching streets, you have some um, some opinions about how things should be done. Yes, absolutely. I. I, I'm I um I have to be careful here because I'm going to turn into a fire fire breathing revolutionary because <laughs> I basically believe everyone does everything wrong. Not the organizations that I work for; they do everything. Right, right. Wrong. Everyone They're, except them. Yeah. Everyone except me and the people that I work for. When I worked teaching chess to kids, my sort of guiding principle was that if the kids like you and they like chess, then everything will be easy. Like everything will be so simple. If they don't like you and they don't like chess, then everything will be like pulling teeth. It will be an absolute like World War One battle of attrition horror. And so your first job as a teacher for chess and probably for anything is to make them like you and make them like chess. And I think there are a lot of chess teachers that don't have that attitude. They spend a lot of time thinking about how to present the material which is important. You should spend some thought on how to present the material or what to teach. Should I teach this opening or that opening? Should I teach this end game or that end game? Should I teach this tactic or that tactic? It's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that they like you and they like chess. So let me give a concrete example of this philosophy. Many chess teachers will not allow their kids to play blitz and they will not allow their kids to play bug house. And I think that's a mistake. Because those things, why, why do kids like to play them? Because they're fun. Yeah. And if you let them play it, they're going to have fun and they're going to like chess and make everything easy. And so when you prevent kids from doing the fun part, you're making your job harder. You're pushing them away from chess. It's not effective. Here's another example. A lot of chess coaches won't let their kids resign when they're losing, when they're down you know, 15 pieces and they only have a lone king wandering around the board. They won't let them, let them resign. And the the logic behind it is very clear. If for anybody who's seen a kid's chess tournament, when you're down that much, the game is not over. Kids will still stalemate each other. And it's they probably win like 50% of games when they're, you know, up seven queens. So they won't allow, they'll say you're never allowed to resign. You're, you've never resigned one chess game for your whole life. In a tournament situation, that's probably okay. In the like Wednesday afternoon in the school library, I think you should let kids resign because playing a game where you're down seven queens and you just wander around with your king is not fun. And the kids want to, they want to resign and they want to get another chance and they want to play a new game. 
and that's more fun. And in my opinion, you should let them. So that's my uh, that's my little spiel about uh, kids and kids in chess. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially about the the liking you part, the the liking chess. I mean, I don't do as much scholastic teaching as I used to, but that was one where sometimes I just felt like I just couldn't I couldn't fix it, you know. Um, Like sometimes it feels out of your hands, but it's certainly a a good goal at least. Um, And last thing, Chris, we didn't talk about your own chess at all. Um, So. Are you still working on your game? And do you have any uh, favorite resources that you, you'd like to recommend? I, I this, is, um, this is actually a big hobby horse of mine. Anybody that follows me on Twitter, I, I sometimes think that chess culture is very focused on improvement more so than other games. And this is not necessarily bad because I'm not, I'm not gonna like police how people enjoy chess. If you enjoy trying to get better and, and then, then go for it, absolutely. Like, I'm not gonna tell you to stop. I think in chess, there needs to be space for casual players. Um, I used to play a lot of basketball. And I, of, of the people I played basketball with, I don't think 99% of them had any illusions of getting better at basketball. It was just It was just something fun to do with their friends. And I think we as chess players need to build spaces for people like that who just want to play a game with their friends. Um, so I know I've sort of like dodged your question. <laughs> no, it's a really good point. Uh, when I when I had uh, JB from Twitter, also from Twitter, uh, who he um, it was in the book recap of Simple Chess. He's a also a long distance running aficionado, and he's kind of involved in the like social media running community. And he brought up the same point that even runners, which is very measurable, one of the few things probably just as measurable as, as chess ability, he was saying they're not obsessed with improvement. They just want to do the thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously I feel like I'm, you know, I'm a part of the problem in some sense because, um, <laughs> because obviously we talk about chess improvement a lot on the podcast, but I also, on the other hand, feel like I'm being responsive to what, what my audience wants. Um, yeah, yeah. I've gotten that feedback, but but I, I agree with you. It's a really good point, and, and basketball is a good analogy. Yeah, I'm I'm not anti people getting better at chess or or enjoying getting better at chess. By all means, go for it. Like one thing that I've noticed is that uh, what's this the the Stafford Gambit or or dubious gambits in general. Like um, Eric Rosen plays the Stafford Gambit, and lots of his viewers now play the Stafford Gambit. Stafford Gambit. How can I be diplomatic? Is not mm, good. It's not a good opening. It's 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 probably very close to losing. And when people discuss it, they just can't get their head around why would you play a bad opening? Why would you play a refuted opening? The simple answer is because it's fun. Because right. they enjoy like sacking all their pieces and checkmating. And you know, for the one person out of four who knows the refutation and they get a bad position, that eh, doesn't kill the fun very much. So why not? Good stuff. Um, well, th- you know, again, it's a good point. But despite that, do you ha- do you have like favorite chess books, uh, favorite YouTuber, or any anything you want to give a shout out before we uh, wrap up? My favorite chess book of all time, which is probably because like I'm sort of a dirty hippie, and this is like the hippie dippiest chess book ever, is uh, Chess for Zebras, and I just love everything that Jonathan Rosen makes, <laughs> and I. Before you even said it, I was thinking, I was trying to think, and I was thinking it's probably Rousen. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I love his. He wrote other books. I love his uh, Grunfeld book too. I just love the way that he writes books. It's it's the opposite of like 
dry, you know, nothing but variations and, and evaluations. It, he, he starts talking about philosophy. At one point he wrote like a whole page about like this tennis book about getting better on tennis. I just love it. It's the, it's the best thing in the world. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan as well. And of course did a, a recap of uh, seven deadly chessons. Um, and I'm sure that uh, one of uh, chess for zebras will be, will be forthcoming. Um, excellent. Well, Chris, anything, uh, anything uh, you'd like to say before we, we call it quits? Um, yeah. Uh, check out the Lee chess Twitch channels and YouTube channels. They're linked on the homepage. All of our social media stuff is on the homepage. You can click on it. Check out our Discord channel. If you have, if somebody has like a user support issue, the Discord is a really fantastic research uh, resource because half of the Discord is is like posting memes and pictures of cats, like you might imagine. But then there's also a channel for support, and people are just there almost 24 hours a day. You can get an answer. The links for all of that are on the Leechess homepage. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for having me, Ben. Okay, cool. Yeah. And well, thank you. Thank, thanks to Thebo. Thanks to you. Thanks to everyone on the Lee Chess team, all the volunteers. Um, it's easy when you just like log on and, you know, play a frenzied bullet session for 90 minutes straight to, to lose sight of all the work that goes into it. But uh, the whole chess community appreciates it. Um, and of course, listeners who are, who are able to, to pitch in a little bit, I'm sure it's appreciated. But the beauty of Lee Chess is uh, not strictly necessary. Um, so, so thanks so much, Chris, uh, no joke on leeches. Um, and, uh, and we look forward to seeing what, how the site continues to improve over, uh, the coming years. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Big shout out to Matthew Passy, my producer, been helping us for over four years. Much appreciated as always. I also would like to thank everyone who helped spread the word about the show, whether it be by word of mouth or a positive review on a podcast platform. I can't even keep track of all the platforms anymore, but every review is appreciated. I also wanted to remind you guys, you are always welcome to follow me or Perpetual Chess on social media. On Twitter, I'm at official one That's where I'm most active. We also have the Perpetual Chess Facebook group where we post every episode and sometimes the guests chime in to continue the conversation. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is unretired. Follow us at Perpetual Chess where we post weekly clips. If you would like to email me, the easiest way is ben at perpetualchesspod.com. Also, of course, want to thank our sponsors, Chessable.com and ChessAim and ChessMood. Thanks for helping the cause, guys. Much appreciated and great products that I'm proud to be affiliated with. Last but not least, of course, I want to thank all of our Patreon and PayPal supporters. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities. Chessable.com. David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, 
Andrew Alharji, Andrew Bach, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, The Charlotte Chess Center, The Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harst, I am Greg Shahadi, Gregory Galuk, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromarty, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Cell, The King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the OGs of Chess YouTube, Lucio Casada Silva, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerdnase Twitch channel, Peter Sodi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, The Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Chad Hilton, Chess Patser Spain, I'm not sure if that one's a real name, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Budson, Costa Caras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskoschek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Durker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langua Robitaille, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Indrek Ryland, Felipe Melo Pereira, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Latart Lavoie, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vanderveld, Gene Stewart, Gerard Barter, Giovanni Russo, Han Schrute, Harish Renivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, J.D. Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tully, Juan Almogar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jeff Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, Josh Fridell, Kare Christensen, WGM, Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, Kior Gada of the Lakeshore Chess Club, I am Kostyakovyutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Boyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gabel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Mulajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, 
Richard Hollenbach, Robert Tichi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, The Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwalter, Seth Ruzica, Shane Unger, Silver Knights Enrichment, Stefan Roller, WGM, Tatya Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, for the support, everyone. I will catch you guys all next week. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.